demonstrations Listen to the weathermen They're not saying anything And here we go, another edition of Jamal About Sports Coming to you on February 9th, Tuesday 2021, this is episode number 142 of Jamal About Sports. Kicking off the show, No Tears by Richard Butler and the Psychedelic Furs off of their Talk, Talk, Talk album. We've got a big show to get to. We've got, obviously, the Super Bowl. We've got the fallout from the Lions trading Matthew Stafford. Uh, We've got some Mets and some Knicks. I chose that song, No Tears, because... As although I am uh, sad to see Matthew Stafford no longer be a Detroit Lion, uh, I shed no tears. I am happy for him. Uh, hopefully, I'll be happy for the organization. Uh, we talked about it on the last show how angry I was that it had to come to this, um, and there are two main reasons why: Bob Quinn and Matthew Patricia. Um, but look. It happens. Joe Namath finished his career with the Rams. Johnny Unitas finished his career with the Chargers. Um, you know, the list goes on and on about stars who finished their careers not with the teams they started. Now, Namath and Unitas were clearly diminished players by that point. Stafford is not. While he's certainly not smack dab in the middle of his prime, Uh, I would argue he's got three to four to maybe even five very good years left. And so, look, that's a team he wanted to go to. It's a place he wanted to be. Uh, If you follow sports even a little bit, uh, you know that it's been uh, covered ad nauseum that he is good buddies with Clayton Kershaw, that they were high school teammates in baseball together. Kershaw, obviously, the star pitcher for the Dodgers. Um, I think... Matthew will enjoy L.A. very much, as will his wife. Um, And uh, it's a good team. They have an excellent defense there in L.A. They've got uh, a very good, promising young running back in uh, Cam Akers, um, as well as, um, who is it, Malcolm Brown, and then the other kid, from Memphis, whose name escapes me now. But they, they've got the makings of a good running game. The O-line needs to get younger. I mean, Andrew Whitworth can't play till he's 50, can he? Um, but it's a pretty good O-line, an excellent defense, a very good offensive coach in McVay. Uh, it should be a marriage made in heaven. And frankly, the Rams should be pretty much the prohibitive favorite to at least make the NFC Championship game next year with Stafford. So... Um, Happy for him. Very happy for him. I think it's great. Um, Now, as far as what the Lions get out of this, look, they got two first-round picks. Not this year. Next year's draft and the draft after. And they got a third-round pick in this draft, which is great because the Lions uh, were light on draft picks for this draft. Anyway, no sixth-round pick, no seventh-round pick. And no extra picks in any of the other rounds. So now you pick up an extra third round pick. Um, and they got Jared Goff, who I know everybody hates now and everybody says stinks and can't play. And clearly the 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 trajectory is uh, a downward one 
since the apex of his career when they were in the Super Bowl, by the way, two years ago. And it wasn't like he was along for the ride for that team that made the Super Bowl. He was a major reason why that team made the Super Bowl. In fact, the boy genius label that was being slapped on McVay was because of the great work that he had done with Goff, taking him from a quarterback that Jeff Fisher, the previous head coach, hated and who looked like he couldn't play even a little bit to now one of the more productive quarterbacks in the NFL and in the Super Bowl, due in large part to the play of Jared Goff. Now, look, they played horribly in that Super Bowl, although Brandon Cooks dropping that touchdown pass didn't help. Uh, The Patriots shut them down. It was one of the worst Super Bowls you'll ever watch from an entertainment value standpoint. Um, But guess what? They won 10 games the next year. We're in the playoffs. They won nine games this year, and we're in the playoffs, or vice versa, I think. No, maybe they missed the playoffs. They won 10 games this year and made the playoffs. And I understand he didn't play particularly well in the Green Bay game. And he wasn't a huge reason why they beat Seattle. But he played. He came in for Walford. I understand that they benched him in favor of Walford. He also had a broken thumb on his throwing hand. And still went in and gutted it out. And he didn't say a peep. He didn't moan and groan. He didn't bitch and moan and whine. And he went into that game in Seattle. And they won the game. Yeah, he wasn't great. Played well enough for them to win. He wasn't so bad that they won in spite of him. And look, as you guys know, I am not a QB wins are a thing guy. It's the dumbest, laziest measure of a quarterback that there is. Same people will tell you that will also tell you that football is the ultimate team game, except so-and-so is 3-1 and one in the playoffs. Ex-quarterback is 3-1. and one. Ex-quarterback, Matthew Stafford's 0-3 in the playoffs. Again, you go back and watch the, the, the film of the Saints playoff game in 2011 and tell me Matthew Stafford was the reason why the Lions lost that playoff game to Drew Brees and the Saints. And go back and watch the Seattle game and tell me Matthew Stafford was the reason why. And watch the Cowboys game and tell me he was the reason why. And I'll be honest, look, Stafford was not great the last, look, the Lions got got the ball back with a chance to win the game against Dallas. And he fumbled first once on on a sack and the Lions recovered it. And then he got sacked later in in that drive and that was it. He was not great on that last drive, but we all know it shouldn't have come to that. So, so I'll be fair. Look, Matthew Stafford's not a perfect quarterback, but I think Jared Goff, you can draw some parallels. You know, Matthew Stafford had a, had success early in his career. When he finally was healthy, the Lions made the playoffs, coming off being 0-16 just three short years prior to that. And then, you know, look, 2012, he was not great. 2013, he was not great. You could argue in large, uh, you can argue that 2013 went sideways in large part because Stafford didn't play well. They were 6-3, and three, and then he did not have a good game against the Giants. Threw a pick six. That was the only way the Lions were going to lose that game against that Giants team that year. Was that the Giants scored on defense. And he obliged. He threw a bad pick six in that game. Played poorly against the Bears on the road that season. So, I'll be honest. He wasn't always great. But guess what? He righted the ship. 2014 played well. 2015, after a horrendous start by the whole team, he played great down the stretch. And... 
2016, he was good. 2017, they made the playoffs. They only made the playoffs because of him. They were 9-7. Yes, they were 9-4. They lost the last three games. Also, when he had a broken finger. But they had all those comeback wins. I think eight, eight of their nine wins were fourth quarter comebacks authored by Matthew Stafford. So, look, just because Goff has had two down years, he's 26, doesn't mean he can't bounce back. Will he ever achieve the heights that he had in 2018 when they made the Super Bowl? Possibly not, but this is not some bum. He's 26 years old. Changes scenery. Now, he may be going to an atrocious football team. <laughs> that is certainly a possibility due most, in, in large part to the horrendous job that Bob Quinn did and Matthew Patricia did and the mess and the wreckage that they have left in their wake. But we'll see. Again, NFL, unlike any other sport, is designed for teams to make jumps from season to season. So this year is going to be tough because of free agency, because the salary cap's not going up by any you know meaningful number, and the Lions don't have a ton of draft picks. But guess what? Hit on two decent picks, have some of the picks last year, like Jeff Okuda, who had a miserable rookie year, have a good second year, and a couple of guys who were in their second year have good third years, and you know maybe a couple of guys that hated the old regime and were miscast flourish under this regime. You see it happen all the time. And you hit on a couple of your draft picks this year, and you hit on one or two free agents, and the next thing you know, all right, at least you're competitive. You know, you're seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. You live in that realm. And maybe Goff plays well. And you've got something. And you don't have to do see at least with Goff now the lines aren't locked into having to take a quarterback at the seventh pick in the first round this year. I mean, remember, folks, this is going to be the hardest year ever to evaluate draft talent with guys barely, some guys didn't play at all. They opted out. Some guys played on teams that played six games, right? I mean, Trey Lance is a great example, quarterback out of North Dakota State that people are mock drafting to the the Falcons at four. Some had him going to the Lions at seven before the golf trade, and the Lions could still in a normal year take a quarterback with the seventh pick as an insurance policy because if Goff flames out and maybe you know the last two years he's more that guy than the guy that made the Super Bowl and he's a total disaster well the Lions can move on after one year not take a huge cap hit and then they've got you know in theory their quarterback of the future waiting in the wings sitting who sat on the bench for a year that, that you could do that but I mean Trey Lance Guy played at a one A school. Yes, I understand Carson Wentz came from there, although his stock isn't particularly high right now. But, okay, he had success in the league also. So I don't want to knock him because he's from one A school, but it's a one A school. They didn't play any Division I teams. Like A guy like Cooper Cup, who, by the way, Brad Holmes, the Lions' new GM, drafted when he was with the Rams— from Eastern Washington, I think they played three Pac-12 teams or something like that that year. And he had big games against all of them. So, you know, at least you had, as a, as a talent evaluator, you had a base, you had some frame of reference to say, okay, Cooper Cup put up monster numbers against 1AA teams. Let's see how he does against top-level competition. Well, you saw it. He did. 
played great. You don't have that. You don't have that film on Trey Lance. Plus, they, he, he didn't play this year. You've got eleven games. He's played. He started. He's played. He started eleven games in college at the one double A level. You ready to hand the keys over to that guy and, and and use the seventh pick in the draft? I'm not. Now, the other argument is you could because you have Goff now, and clearly you wouldn't have to play Trey Lance, and so this could act as a redshirt year. And look, if they do all their due diligence, and they 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 fall in love with the kid and they think he's the right move. And Goff ends up being a bridge quarterback, that's fine too. But this is a very hard year to evaluate draft talent. Hardest year in recent memory. And that's why the Lions took a future, two future first round picks rather than I think the Redskins offered this year's first and this year's third. And again, the Lions. You know, they're trying to thread the needle here a little bit with Goff, I think, and, and maintain some competitiveness. And again, probably secretly hoping that if everything, if the stars align and everything breaks right, maybe they even are a playoff team or at least compete for a playoff spot this season. But they're looking at this realistically long-term and understand that this is, is, is a rebuild. It's a long-term project. It's a two- or three-year project, most likely. And so that's why they want the draft capital from next year and the year after that. So I, I thought they did great in this trade. I really did. Yes, I understand the the instant gratification crowd wanted the first-round pick this year. It's more exciting. You got two first-round picks. Again, this draft is a huge—I mean, the draft in general is a lot of times is a crapshoot. This year, more so than ever. It's an enormous crapshoot. I mean, there, there, there aren't a lot of shoe-ins right now. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is it. I mean, Zach Wilson, uh, he looked great in a couple of games. He also didn't look that great against Coastal Carolina. And he's also kind of slight of frame. Now, maybe that won't matter. And and it's a little different. I, I understand the quarterback position has evolved in the NFL. It's nice to have dual threat guys, guys that are mobile. I get it. But, I mean, Justin Fields, same thing. Looked great against Clemson. Didn't look so hot against Alabama. Didn't look so hot against Northwestern. Not the Northwestern's, you know, junk. They had a good year, and they're generally a good program under Pat Fitzgerald. But, I mean, am I banging the table at seven for Justin Fields? Do I know for a fact he's the quarterback of the future? I don't. Trevor Lawrence is the only sure thing, and even he's not a sure thing. So, I'm fine if the Lions address another need at seven than quarterback. And having Goff on a team allows them to do so. So I'll say it again, as I said the last time. I wish Matthew Matthew Stafford nothing but success in L.A. And I hope they win every game except for when the Lions play them this year. I I would like nothing better. And I'll I'll admit there's some personal stuff in there. I I, want to be right. Because I've been saying for years... That if this guy had been in a good situation, even a, a, a remotely competent running game, and, and and a good defense, he'd be a monster. And by the way, the one year where that somewhat came to pass, the two years that, that somewhat came to pass were 2011 when he had a monster year and they lost to the Saints and he was not the reason they lost to the Saints in the playoffs. Lions dropped four interceptions in that game. And the other year was 2014 when they got hosed in Dallas. 
And that team won 11 games, and they should have won a road game against the Cowboys in the playoffs. Every other year, no running game, mostly bad defense. So, I would be shocked, assuming all goes according to plan out there in L.A., if they don't win 12 games and make it to the NFC Championship game. Shocked. I think he's going to be rejuvenated, revitalized. They're going to love him. He is everything you want in a franchise quarterback. Everything. Accountable, funny, good guy. The talent, you know, is through the roof. Hard worker. Plays hurt. Every single box he checks. Every single one. I understand he doesn't get the national recognition because he doesn't seek it out like certain people. And he plays for a a bad team in a city most overlooked. So I get all that. But you watch. He is going to shine in LA. Another quick lines out Calvin Johnson, first ballot Hall of Fame. Congratulations. You know, there was there were some weird debates where, oh, I don't know if Calvin Johnson's a Hall of Fame. Look, if you don't know that Calvin Johnson's a Hall of Famer, then you don't know football. I mean, just watch the guy. Look at the number. I mean, the, the guy is the definition of a Hall of Fame player. And I'm glad to see, by the way, Tom Flores got in. Glad to see Drew Pearson got in. You know, errors are not the same. Drew Pearson didn't put up the monster numbers because when Drew Pearson played, you know, teams threw the ball 25 times a game. I mean, remember, he was on a team with Tony Hill. He was on a team with Tony Dorsett. Teams didn't throw the ball 45 times a game routinely like they do now. So, but thrilled for Calvin Johnson. It's funny. The the lines are very strange in many ways. And one of the many ways they are strange is for as such limited success that they've had, they've got a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame. A lot. I mean, you've got Barry Sanders. You've got Calvin Johnson. You've got, I think, Bubba Baker, Night Train Lane, Joe Schmidt. Alex, no, Alex Karras didn't make the Hall of Fame. He probably should have. Um, Dick LeBeau. I'm sure I'm missing some other guys, but Lions have a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame. And they are <laughs> for a team that never wins. It's weird. All right, moving on. Super Bowl. So, I bet on Tampa Bay for a couple of reasons. One, Obviously, the anti-Brady. They were getting points. You know my philosophy. You want to let Tampa Bay win? Fine, pay me. It was a three-point spread. Had Kansas City won by, obviously, two or less, I would have gotten what I like to call the win-win, which is Brady loses, and I win my bet. So I bet on Tampa Bay. Also bet on Tampa Bay because I saw that the Chiefs were playing an offensive line comprised of all backups. And if you watch Tampa Bay at all this year, and particularly in the playoffs, 
you saw that they've got a very good front seven with JPP still playing out of his mind. Indomitian Sue, former Lion, still playing well. Um, Vitavea, massive defensive tackle, playing well. Devin White, all-world linebacker, one of the best blitzers in the league. Levante David, the other linebacker, outstanding. Um, Shaq Barrett, pass rusher, very good. I mean, they're, they're, they're a problem. It's a good D-line. And I understand Mahomes is great. Nobody can extend the play as well as Mahomes. He throws from weird angles. He makes unbelievable plays. Scared me. Because first of all, nobody paid attention to that, weirdly. People who get paid to follow football for a living. I didn't see one person discuss this or bring it up or write about it. Um, But it scared me. Because at the end of the day... Football is still a pretty simple game. And if you can't block the other teams, guys, or if you can block them and dominate them, you're going to win or you're going to lose. Kansas City had zero answer for Tampa Bay's front seven. None. Not to take anything away from the secondary. Secondary played well too, but it was all made possible by the fact that Mahomes had a guy in his face within about a second or two every time he went back to throw the ball. Andy Reid, horrible job, adjusting, terrible game plan. First play of the second half, I watched, I'm watching it with AG. I go, okay, you saw how Tampa Bay lined up on defense. I go, Kansas City's got to run the ball here. Got to run the ball. Antoine Winfield Jr. was playing 20 yards deep on the play. They had what you'd like to call a favorable box for a run play, and they ran the ball. And guess what? Clyde Edwards-Alaire got about 27 yards on the play. Their longest play of the, of the game up to that point. But then they went away from it. And they kept trying to throw the ball. And Patrick Mahomes had nothing, nowhere to go. Nobody to go to. Tampa Bay's defense won that game. I understand the lazy storyline is 43-year-old Tom Brady beat Pat Mahomes. Well, first of all, he didn't. He doesn't play defense. Uh, second of all, the Chiefs... Did not lose because of Patrick Mahomes. He did everything in his power. I mean, he threw a, a ridiculous pass, rolling out left, throwing back right, that went right through Tyreek Hill's hands and clanked off his face mask, for crying out loud, on the first drive of the game. To play that Tyreek Hill has made a million times with Patrick Mahomes didn't make it, of course. Because guess why? Because, of course, because Tom Brady's on the other side. That's why. The Charmed Life, the Tom Brady Charmed Life Tour is in continues and is in full effect and he's great no doubt he's also the luckiest quarterback in the history of the NFL two things can be true Patrick Mahomes is not diminished any now because he lost the Super Bowl he didn't lose anything his offensive line couldn't block anybody his receivers dropped passes right and left his offensive uh Head coach is the head coach who's supposed to be an offensive guru in Andy Reid. Had a bad game plan and/or didn't make the proper adjustments. Like a dope, Andy Reid calls timeout at the end of the first half to try to get the ball back when the Chiefs are already going to get the ball to start the third quarter and got cute on a third and two and called timeout so that they could get the ball back with what 40 seconds left and no timeouts. Yeah, you want to give Tom Brady extra time, dumb dumb. And guess what happened? They went down and scored a touchdown. 
So instead of 14-6, which is one score game, it's now 21-6 and huge momentum shift in the game. Now, of course, Tampa Bay had to get a, a ridiculous pass interference penalty called in their favor to keep the drive alive because it's Tommy. So, of course, that had to happen too. Just like this sequence of events. Tampa Bay goes for it on fourth and goal, gets stoned by the Chiefs. This is still the first half. Score is 6-3 at this point. Chiefs get the ball back. I think they get one first down, then they go three and out. Chiefs punt. Chiefs punter rips off a nice punt. Tampa Bay punt returner catches the ball, gets tackled immediately at like the 30-yard line. So great job by the Chiefs to get out of their own end zone, flip field position, Score 6-3. Okay, here we go. Except now they, the, the, they call a hold on the Chiefs. Now, nine times out of ten, when there's a hold on a punt return, it's called on the return team, not on the team that was punting. But they saw something, and so they called holding on the Chiefs. Okay, so now we got to re-kick. Like clockwork, on cue, guy shanks it about 20 yards, sets Tampa Bay up in perfect field position. Tamp- Kansas City Chiefs defense. Give them credit. Bows up their neck. Holds Tampa Bay to a field goal. Tampa Bay makes the field goal. Okay. Now it's 9-3. Except no, wait. Chiefs are called for offsides. Lining up offsides on a field goal attempt. The guy that they called the penalty on, who supposedly lined up offsides, didn't even rush the kick. So it's not like it had any impact on the play at all. The guy didn't even rush, got nowhere near blocking the kick, had nothing to do with anything. But nope, they're going to call that. Okay, fresh set of downs. Get a horrible illegal contact penalty. Oh no, sorry. Before that, Brady throws an interception, gets negated by an illegal contact penalty called away from the play. Of course, the typical classic Tom Brady bailout. Can't call it on the guy he's throwing to because there's nothing there. So let's look for something away from the play, a play that they can call anytime they want and they hadn't been calling at all during the playoffs. Right, forgot about that. So instead of a turnover, fresh set of downs. Then they hold them to the field goal. Then they get the terrible offsides penalty called. Then they score after that, of course. I mean, again, I'm not saying Tom Brady's not great. He is. But no other quarterback gets his treatment. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is the, other, is the only other one. And that's usually only against the Lions and Limbo. No, that's not true. He gets, he, he gets his treatment too. It's ridiculous. Then, of course, you know, Ryan... Uh, uh, Chris Jones gets called for unsportsmanlike conduct. The classic second guy gets called, except he's tangled up with Ryan Jansen, who's known as the dirtiest center in the NFL. He's known to be the center for the Tampa Bay. They wrote a big article about it on ESPN.com during the week. The whole world knows he's chippy as hell. But somehow the refs missed him shoving Chris Jones first in the face mask. They only caught Chris Jones retaliating, of course. To hand Tampa Bay a fresh 15 yards. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
you know, uh, Brady, you know, goes and gets right in Tyron Matthews' face. They don't see that, but they see Matthew retaliate and put his wave his finger on Brady's face, and they get called. For, I mean, it's just you, you just you can't make this up. And then, of course, it turns out, by the way, that Mahomes is basically playing on a broken foot and is getting foot surgery. So let's recap. Tampa Bay got to play the Washington football team, probably the worst team to make the playoffs in the last 20 years as their first-round opponent. Then he got to play a completely diminished Drew Brees who can't throw the ball more than 20 yards the second round. Give him credit for beating Green Bay in Green Bay, 100%. Although the Green Bay coach is a nitwit by not giving, letting, keeping the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands and kicking the field goal and also idiotically going for two earlier in the game. But give him credit. Not easy to go in a Lambeau and beat Rodgers. So you give him credit for that. And then they play a Chiefs team with a completely diminished offensive line and a quarterback basically running around on one foot. I'm telling you, the Charm Life Tour never ends. He may as well play till he's, till he's 50. It's unfucking believable. <laughs> but again, this idea that now Mahomes can't be the GOAT now anymore. I mean, wait, first of all, what kind of stupid, manufactured debate topic is that? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm so sick of the term GOAT, by the way. Greatest of all time, the GOAT. And again... Can we wait a few minutes and see how Mahomes' career plays out? But it's not easy. I mean, they made the, he made the Super Bowl back-to-back years. That's not easy. Not a lot of teams do it. And I understand they didn't score a touchdown. They got blown out. It wasn't because of Patrick Mahomes. Super Bowl itself, I mean, it, I... I are people finally starting to see how bad Tony Romo is? Or is it just me? I mean, he, he basically sounds like, and I guess maybe this is part of the charm to some people, but, I mean, it sounds like he's, he's, he's kind of watching the game, but he's sort of like maybe on his phone also while he's watching it, and he like looks up from his phone every now and then. Uh, and Jim Nance just sits there. I mean, listen, men and women out there, Find someone in your life that looks at you the way Jim Nance looks at Tony Romo (laughs) because I've never seen anything like it. If you can find someone in your life that looks at you adoringly the way Jim Nance gazes at Tony Romo, you're set. You're good. Whatever else happens in your life, you will be fine. So yeah, pretty much a horrible Super Bowl. Although, I got lucky. My box is hit, so I want a little cash. So that was nice. But obviously, from an entertainment value standpoint, horrendous game. And then obviously, for all the anti-Brady folks out there, of which there are many of us, also not fun to watch. All right, moving on. So, you know, when the Mets... When Steve Cohen took over as owner of the Mets, deep pockets, billionaire, the whole thing, um, you know, a lot of people's expectations were that the Mets would be very aggressive in free agency, complete opposite of how they've been under the Wilpons in the last 10 years. Um, And 
they were somewhat aggressive. I mean, they, they signed James McCann, a catcher, to like a four-year, $40 million deal. They made the big trade for Lindor. Um, you know, they signed this guy Trevor May, relief pitcher, not a huge contract, good player though. Um, made a couple of other minor moves, signed this guy uh, Al Mora, basically a platoon player, center fielder, good glove, a little bit of pop, not a great hitter though. Just signed Jonathan VR, who's a pretty good utility guy, could play all over the infield except for first base, can play a little outfield, has got really good speed. Um, showed some pop when he was with the Orioles a few years back, although, you know, that stadium's a joke. But no major moves. And the big move that everybody was wanting was either George Springer for center field, who ended up going to the Blue Jays for a, a, an insane amount, I think $150 million for four years or five years, something like that, which, you know, look, he's 31. Big deals like that for guys that are over 30 rarely, if ever, work out. I didn't have a huge problem. I think the Mets offered 125 is a perfectly reasonable offer. Um, and then the other big fish out there was Trevor Bauer, which I'm still trying to figure out why. I understand that he won the Cy Young last year. He made 12 starts. Okay, he made 12 starts. He played 60 freaking games. But I have to keep hearing how he had. He's a Cy Young winner. Okay. And he was great in their one playoff game. Okay. And he pitched on two days rest. And it, it, those are all commendable things. No question about it. Um, but he's also a Twitter moron. He's on a Twitter more than uh, he who shall remain nameless. Although that guy's banned from Twitter now. Um, and... Uh, So that, to me, you pair that with New York, that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, the first time he has a bad three-game stretch and people are giving it to him on Twitter and it's going to be a massive distraction and it, it just, it, it just, it's a recipe for disaster. But the, the, other, the other part of it is um, where, where's, where's the track record? And now look, the Dodgers gave him $105 million bucks for three years with opt-outs after the first and second year. And I would have been fine if the Mets gave him like a, a deal similar to that, I guess. Um, but if you look at his career, I mean, it's good. Not great. I mean... Let me see if I can go to. I want to pull this up. I mean, I, I believe he's had one excellent season, one excellent full season, and an excellent 13 game stretch last year. And then I think, other than that, he's been okay. But certainly not worth, you know, $35 million a year or whatever insane amount. Now, they still have him on here. I oh, know they're going to have this idiotic postseason thing that ESPN likes to do. So let's go to the regular season and let's see if I can find if they still have him or if they don't have him on a team anymore. They should. Um, no, wait, hold on. Got to go to pitching. Bear with me. Okay. Trevor Bauer. Yeah, he had a great year last year. Again, there's nine starts. Sorry. No, 11 starts and then 12 if you include the playoff game. So 12, 12 excellent starts last year. Great numbers. No question about it. Let's take a look at his career, if we may. 
Now? Now, huh? You don't want to you don't want to give me is so for his career, he's 75 and 64 with a 390 ERA. 390 ERA with a 1.26 whip. 390 career RA, and last year his ERA was like in the ones. So that means he had some years where the ERA was over four. So we're gonna we're gonna take a look at that. Okay. Nice try, ESPN, with your annoying commercials. Put the kibosh on that. Okay. His first full year was 2014. He made 26 starts. He was 5-8 and eight with a 418 ERA. Not great, not terrible. Next year, 11-12 with a 455 ERA. That sm- smacks a fifth starter. 2016, 12-8 with a 426 ERA. Okay, fourth starter. Third starter, maybe. 2017, excellent year. Win and wins and losses. Why 17 and 9, 419 ERA. This guy's never had an ERA under four so far. Now, 2018, he had a great year. 12 and 6, 221 ERA. Okay. 2019, 9 and 8, 379 ERA. I mean, that's that's good. That's not great. I mean, that's 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 not great. And then, by the way, when he went to Cincinnati, he was awful. He got traded in 2019, went 2-5 with a 6.39 ERA. So, in 2019, the last full season he pitched, he was 11-13, you know, with a, not, with, a, with a good ERA, not great. And then, yes, he was great last year for 11 starts. That's worth $35 million a year and, and a bunch of headaches because he's a Twitter clown? No, thank you. Hard pass for me. I'm perfectly fine with the Mets not signing this guy. Perfectly fine. Baseball's a long season, assuming they play all 162. Right now, the Mets rotation is currently constructed is DeGrom, Carlos Carrasco, Stroman, Peterson, who showed signs last year, the young lefty, and probably Lucchese, who two years ago was 11-11, and 11, I think, with a 419 RA. By the way, very Trevor Bauer-ish numbers. Uh, and then with the hopes that Syndergaard is going to be back by June. If Syndergaard comes back by June, that's like trading for an ace. And now one of those other two guys goes to the bullpen or gets sent down. It's fine. And now you've got DeGrom, Carrasco, Syndergaard, Stroman. Yeah, I'll take those four against anybody. And in fact, let's take a look at Carlos Carrasco's numbers. Let me go, let me just baseball reference. It's easier than sifting through the nonsense on ESPN.com. Carlos Carrasco. Okay, let's take a look at his numbers, shall we? Okay, for his career, he's 88 and 73 with a 377 ERA. Sound familiar? Pretty close to Trevor Bauer's numbers. Um, let's take a look. His first full year, he made 21. Let's see. What was his first full year was 15. He made 30 starts. 
hate the way they break this down, though, on baseball reference. Can you just tell me wins and losses, please? Okay, sorry. 14 and 12 with a 363 ERA. Pretty good. 11 and 8 with a 332. 2017, 18 and 6, 329. 2018, 17 and 10, 338. All of these years are better than Trevor Bowers, by the way. All of them. 2019, he didn't have a great year. 6 and 7 with a 529 ERA. Oh, that's right. He had cancer. <laughs> and then last year, again, in a shortened season, 12 starts. 291 ERA, 3 and 4. I, and I, I, I get it. Wins and losses don't matter. If you're a Trevor Bauer guy, don't worry, don't worry about the wins and losses. Look at the ERA. Okay, I'm looking at Cookie Carrasco's year last year. He had a 291 ERA with a 1.20 whip. Pretty good. I mean, really? And the Mets traded for him and got him in the Lindor trade. I'll take that. Plus, he's a great guy, and everybody loves him. He's not a tool like Trevor Bauer. I'm not going to have to worry about him being on Twitter, you know, bullying 19-year-old girls on Twitter like Trevor Bauer likes to do, which I know he's apologized for now. Good for you. Please, get lost. So I'm perfectly fine. Now, I hate what Major League Baseball is doing, and I may not be able to watch the sport anymore with this. I mean, this they're, they're, they're keeping the runner on second with no outs in, to start an extra inning game. I mean, that, that rule is stupid for Little League, let alone Major League Baseball. And they're doing the seven-inning doubleheaders. That, I guess, I have a little less of a problem with, although that's very Little League-ish. It's what they do in the minor leagues, actually, is they play seven-inning doubleheaders. But they have rejected the universal DH because the owners are attaching it to expanded playoffs. Now, why the players don't want expanded playoffs, I don't really get. I don't understand why they don't want the universal DH. It's only good for the Players Association. It's going to extend guys' careers, which in turn makes guys make more money. So I, I don't understand this thinking at all. Makes no sense to me. Now, selfishly, I would like the universal DH, even though for years I was a traditionalist and wanted, I liked it when pitchers hit. But now, since no pitchers know how to bunt, guys get hurt routinely running to first base, running the bases, getting hit by pitches. I don't, I don't need it anymore. You have it in one league. With the interleague play, it's stupid. You either have it all or nothing. You either have no DH everywhere or all the or DH everywhere. That's number one. Number two, it's much better for the Mets now the way their roster is constructed. I'm not going to lie because if you have the DH that lets Dom Smith play first base, it lets Alonzo DH, the Mets could go get a real center fielder like Jackie Bradley Jr. and let Nimmo play left where he's good, keep Conforto and right where he's average. Mets infield defense should be much improved with Lindor at short, McCann behind the plate, Jeff McNeil at second. Strong up the middle, away we go. But it looks like, unfortunately, there will not be a DH this year, which is going to compromise the Mets. They're going to be very poor defensively again, unfortunately. Now, you can, can you get around it a little bit here and there? Yeah, you can. Score a lot of runs. Have you know low-contact pitchers. Guys strike guys out a lot. You have defensive replacements for late in games with the lead and guys that even their defensive replacements but also can hit a little bit so if the bullpen does blow the lead and it's a tie game and if the guy's spot comes up in the order 
at least they're not an automatic out. And they, you know, is kind of like that. VR is like that. So, you know, you, you, you can dance around it, but I'd prefer to have a stud center fielder like Jackie Bradley Jr. patrolling center field and the gaps in city field every day. That would be better. But the Mets lineup should be very good, very deep, even as currently constructed. And again, it's a long season. And look, they may not still be done. They may sign a Jake Odorizzi. That'd be fine. Again, I just, I don't understand what the fascination with Trevor Bauer is. I mean, he's a nice pitcher. He ain't a $35 million a year pitcher. That's for damn sure. All right, finally, we'll, we'll, we'll end on this. So, Knicks have been, you know, kind of, I talked about this last time, they're watchable, they're competitive. They battle, they fight, they've got some deficiencies. They're not a good shooting team. I think they're the worst three-point shooting team in the league. Um, and you could get away with that if you had a great low post player. They don't. Randall's been a revelation. He's played great. R.J. Barrett's shown signs of improvement, but he's been very poor in the fourth quarter. His outside shooting is still in, ma- in, in major need of improvement. Um, there's some encouraging signs. He's improved tremendously at the foul line. He's in the mid to high 70s from the foul line. That leads me to believe that he can improve the outside shooting as well, particularly from three. And again, he's like 20, 21. So, you know. Um, so he's, he's shown improvement, which is nice. In certain areas, overall scoring, better at the rim, better foul shooting. Um, Mitchell Robinson, you know, he is who he is. He's done a good job staying out of foul trouble this year for the most part. Has no offensive game to speak of. Rebounds, block shots. You're fine with him. Today's NBA, that's you're fine with the center that does those things. I mean, you're always fine with the center that does those things, but, you know, Centers used to be the focal point of teams' offenses back in the day. Now, they, if they are, it's because they shoot from three. <laughs> or they're crazy, well-rounded like uh, Jokic in Denver. Um, but the Knicks have the makings with Quickly, who's also been a revelation. You know, look, people are getting a little carried away. I get it. We're so starved for good point guard play because we haven't had it for so long. And Alfred Payton, who at times looks really good and then other times looks terrible. I mean, he's a very confounding player. Um, So I get it. Let, let's pump the brakes a little bit on Quickly here. You know, people are like, oh, now the Knicks have their big three with Quickly and Barrett and Julius Randle. Uh, let's relax, people, okay? I mean, Barrett has got a long way to go. Quickly's got a long way to go. Is it encouraging? Yeah. Is, are they fun? Yep. Let's just let it play out and see, though. Stop anointing guys. So now they just traded for Derrick Rose, which on its surface looks like an idiotic move to me. I hated him when he was here the first time. I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now, except for the fact that he loves Thibodeau and Thibodeau loves him. And he's played his best basketball under Thibodeau. And the guy still can score. And apparently he's here to play about 20 to 25 minutes a night. So, and if he takes minutes away from over dribbler Austin Rivers, fine by me. As long as he's not, you know, carving out into the minutes for quickly, which I don't think he will. And if he takes some minutes away from Peyton, when Peyton just doesn't, on the nights Peyton doesn't have it, and Rose and, and, and quickly are in a game late together, that, that's fine. 
I could see that. Could be hard for teams to defend. I mean, look, the Knicks lost a game in the Heat the other day. I mean, the last 10 possessions were an atrocity. I mean, they, they were awful. The Knicks have major problems scoring because the team's double-teamed Julius Randle. Knicks don't have a, a dead-eye three-point shooter. Now, guy like Alec Burks sometimes can be that guy. And he's been a very nice player, by the way. He's a very sneaky, good, under-the-radar acquisition. The guy's a solid pro. Gives you an honest night's work every single time he's out there. But Rivers, after a, a couple of hot games early, has been awful. And I think he's probably playing hurt. You know, then, then sit out. And, you know, look, he's a good guy. He's an RKG. I get that. He thinks he's a little better than he actually is. Does way too much fancy dribbling that, does, that accomplishes absolutely nothing. But, you know, look, the Knicks are a professional, hardworking team. They're, they, they're, they're watchable. You can get behind them. They're fun to watch. They're easy to root for. I love that Thibodeau has basically told Kevin Knox, son, you ain't it. And I'm sorry. Seems like a nice enough kid. He doesn't play with any energy. You can't have it. He's not good enough. He ain't George Gervin. You know, George Gervin can float around... <laughs> Could float around out there because he scored 30 on you before you even knew what was happening. But Kevin Knox just isn't that good. And 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 being a somewhat decent open three-point shooter is not enough. He gives you nothing on defense. He doesn't get to the rim. He's got no low post game. I mean, it's just it's not enough there. So I'm fine with him not playing. Now, it's a tragedy that the Knicks drafted him in the first place instead of taking Mikael Bridges from Villanova or the Porter Jr. kid from Missouri. I mean, both those guys. Imagine those guys at the three with Randall at the four and Robinson and then Barrett and Quickly. That's fun. And Toppin coming off the bench. And, and that's the other thing. I said this before. I'll say it again. Everybody relax with Obi Toppin. Okay? He had a couple nice moments against the, the, the Heat the other day. He's still finding his way. It's going to take him a while. It's tough. You know, they're not running plays for him. They're just not. They're not going to. But remember, he was hurt for an extended stretch. There was no summer league. It's going to take him a little while. He's a good kid, he's a hard worker, and he's athletic. He'll be okay. Is he going to be a superstar? Way too early to tell. But he should be a, 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 a valuable piece on a good team. It's just going to take a little while. And this is fine. It's fine the way it is right now. You don't have to throw him to the wolves and let him, you know, let him have a couple of, you know, 15 minutes here, 10 minutes there, hit a three here or there, get a dunk here or there, you know. Let him slowly build his confidence. He'll be okay. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, peace out.